Hi everyone, welcome to the sixth episode of Ukraine War Uncovered, podcast about the war in Ukraine. Today is 462nd day of the Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine. My name is Pavlo and my colleague is Anna. We are Ukrainians and co-hosts of this podcast. In this podcast, we will uncover facts and stories about the war in Ukraine, some of which you may not hear from the mainstream media. We will provide you with key weekly updates about the war based on information from the ground, connect with eyewitnesses and experts directly from Ukraine, and share stories of wartime life inside Ukraine and stories of temporary displaced people. We will also uncover Ukraine, its culture, language and history for you. Moving on to the topic of this week, in this episode we will cover one of the most severe aspects of the war, violence against children and women. Firstly, we will dive deep into the mass deportation and abduction of Ukrainian children. Then, we will move to the sexual violence against women as a strategy and culture of the Russian army. We want to acknowledge that this week's topics has been particularly challenging to research and discuss. We feel it is crucial to provide the warning that the content you are about to hear may be disturbing and sensitive in nature. We approach this difficult subject with the utmost care and respect for the survivors and victims affected by these acts of violence by Russians. So we want to start with issues of Ukrainian children massive deportation by Russians. According to the Ukrainian government, more than 16,000 children have been deported to Russia, of whom 10,000 have been located, and 308 have returned as of March 2023. Thousands of children have been found in basement of war-torn cities like Mariupol and at orphanages in Russian-controlled territories of Donbass. They include those whose parents were killed by Russian shelling, as well as others in institutions or with foster families known as children of the state. Russia claims that these children don't have parents or guardians to look after them, or that they can't be reached. But it was proved that officials have deported Ukrainian children to Russia or Russian-held territories without consent, lied to them that they weren't wanted by their parents, used them for propaganda, and given them Russian families and citizenship. Interviewed by the Observer in Kyiv, the government ombudswoman for abducted children, Daria Gresimchuk, knows about about abduction scenarios according to her. She says that they kill the parent for whatever reason and kidnap the child. In other cases, they just grab the child directly from the family, perhaps to punish that family. Others go through the appealingly named filtration camp, filtration camps collected, indoctrinated and, prepare, and prepared for adoption of the one of the kind the commissioner Lvova Belova in Russia has herself boasted that she adopted child abducted from Ukraine. The theme of the children filtration camps has been covered in research by the Yale School of Public Health Humanitarian Research Lab. The research identified 43 families including 43 facilities, including 41 camps that held Ukrainian children during the first year after the full-scale invasion. 
These 43 locations are not representative of all camps and facilities that have held Ukrainian children. They are those for which sufficient open source information is available. Camps and facilities span the country from Russia-occupied Crimea to Magadan Oblast in Russia's Far East region. Russia's officials take children, including those with families and those purported to be orphans, to these facilities for various reasons. According to mentioned Yale research, they identify four main concerning trends associated with the camps. Pro-Russian re-education of Ukrainian children, potential violation of consent, lack of communication, and the suspended return of children from camps. The Ukrainian side are understandably secretive about the networks helping to locate those abducted children. Diplomatic sources suggest an ingenious involvement by some Western government agencies, rival Ukrainian and Russian branches of the Orthodox Church, and evangelical missionaries and volunteers working astride the front lines and and Russo-Ukrainian border. So far, the International Committee of Red Cross appears not to be directly involved. The children Russia taken from Mariupol and other regions of Ukraine during months of full-scale invasion aren't the first time has been uh, accused Russia stealing from Ukraine. So, because years ago, in 2014, after Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula, more than 80 children from Rugansk were stopped at checkpoints and abducted by Russia-backed forces. Because of these incidents happened in 2014, Ukraine sued uh, at the European Court of Human Rights and the court found that children were taken into Russia without medical support and necessary paperwork. The children abducted in 2013 were returned to Ukraine before a final decision. We hope that all other children taken by Russia during the current full-scale invasion of Ukraine would be also safely returned home. Abduction of children is one of the charges against Russia in the International Criminal Court. In March 2023, the court pretrial judges said that they were reasonable grounds to believe that each suspect bears responsibility for the war crime of unlawful deportation of population and that of unlawful transfer of population from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation in prejudice of Ukrainian children. What it basically said that the Russian forces abducted Ukrainian children and forcibly deported them from Ukraine to Russia Federation. And that is the essence of one of the charges against Russia in International Criminal Court. The judges also said that they had chosen to unseal the names of suspects, which are Vladimir Putin and Lvova Belova, the Russian Children's Commissioner, in effort to prevent further crimes. So the court judges decided to disclose the names in order to prevent further crimes committed by Russian side. Lvova Belova has herself described so-called adopting a 50-years-old child from Mariupol, the southern eastern Ukrainian city that was devastated and occupied by Russian forces. According to Reuters, hundreds of Ukrainian children have been taken from orphanages and children homes to Russia. ICC 
Chief Prosecutor Karim Khan also said in a statement, many of these children were, we allege, have since been given up for adoption in Russian Federation, according to statement by Mr. Hunt. What does international law says in this regard? The United Nations Pre- Prevention of Genocide Convention prohibits forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. And the UN Convention on Children's Rights bans the illicit transfer and non-return of children abroad. Though currently actions by Russian forces in abduction of Ukrainian children already violating two international treaties. Importantly, neither Russia nor Ukraine are members of the uh, International Criminal Court. Also, Kyiv granted its jurisdiction to prosecute crimes committed on its territory. The tribunal has no police force of its own and relies on member states to make an arrest. Putin is the third serving president to be targeted by an international criminal court arrest warrant after Sudan Omar al-Bashir and Libya's Muammar Gaddafi. We hope that justice will find Putin and all other Russian war criminals for abduction of Ukrainian children and other war crimes committed by them in Ukraine. Anna, moving on to you. Now we will delve into an incredibly complex and sensitive topic, sexual violence against women and children by Russian army. According to the United Nations, it has managed to verify more than 100 cases of rape or sexual assault in Ukraine since Russia invaded in February 2022. The actual numbers are much higher due to a reason we elaborate in a moment. The data obtained to date suggests that the age of the victims of sexual violence ranges from 4 to 83 years old. The victims are mostly women and girls, but also men and boys. It's been noted that it's very difficult to have reliable statistics during an active conflict and the numbers will never reflect reality, because sexual violence is a silent crime. As such, reported cases are only the tip of the iceberg. In April 2022, the Ukrainian ombudswoman Lyudmila Denisova was said to have received 400 reports of rape committed by Russian soldiers. The reports were mostly coming from the temporary occupied territories of re- or, or recently liberated areas. In June 2022, media reported on the first trial of a Russian charged with rape and sexual violence. The soldiers stood accused of raping a Ukrainian woman during Russia's invasion. Reportedly, the suspect Mikhail Romanov accused of breaking into a house in March in a village in the Bravarsky region outside Kyiv, murdering a man and then repeatedly raping his wife while threatening her and her child. In October 2022, Pramila Patton, representative of the United Nations Secretary-General on Sexual Violence in Conflict, confirmed that rape is part of Russia's military strategy and a, and a deliberate tactic to dehumanize the victims. She emphasized that when women are held for days and raped, when you start to rape little boys and men, when you see a series of genital mutilations, when you hear women testify about Russian soldiers equipped with Viagra, it's clearly a military strategy. In November 2022, Reuters news agency reported that some Russian commanders have encouraged and ordered sexual violence. 
Dr. Ingrid Elliott, MBE and one of the United Kingdom's preventing sexual violence and conflict experts, said that the Russians have two methods of sexual violence. The first of which is staged during an attack on a village. People are dragged out to the streets and paraded, men and women, Dr. Elliot said. There are circumstances where the men would be killed and the women would face sexual violence afterwards. Sometimes the women are rounded up and held in basements where repeated sexual violence is inflicted upon them for days or even weeks. The second pattern of abuse happens in detention centers in occupied territories. While it is hard to document this abuse, people who have fled or been liberated have come forward with information. When we see then is sexual torture against men, Dr. Elliot said, this can take the form of genital elect electrocution, castration or sodomy. The accounts and reports presented here paid paint a devastating picture of the widespread sexual violence perpetrated against women, men and children by Russian forces in Ukraine since the invasion. These acts of violence not only inflict physical and psychological harm, but also aim to dehumanize and terrorize the victims, common pattern used by Russian army as part of their terror tactics. It is crucial that we continue to shed light on these atrocities, support the survivors and work toward justice and accountability for the perpetrators. Now let's move to update from the front lines. Well, going on to the updates from the front lines, on May 26, 2022, the private military company Wagner Group left Bakhmut and were substituted by the gen regular Russian military. Secretary of National Security of Defense Council of Ukraine, Alexei Danilov, said that it doesn't mean that they have given up, it just means that they will regroup and spread across the other areas of the front line. On May 27, GUR, the main Ukrainian Directorate of Intelligence, reports that Russian military started a chemical weapon provocation around Zaporizhia. The purpose is to blame Ukraine and to use it as a reason to counter-attack with the same chemical weapon. On May 30, Hanna Maler, the spokesperson of Ukrainian army, informed that Ukrainian military controls the southwest suburbs of Bakhmut, whereas the advancement at the north of Bakhmut have been temporarily postponed. The overall view of the front line remains similar to the last week, with fighting around Bakhmut area. Now let's move to weekly news update. On May 25th, Ukraine returned home 106 prisoners of war that were captured in the Bakhmut area. Most of them were considered missing. The Parliament of the UK recognized Holodomor, mass starvation of Ukrainians caused by Stalin in 1930s, as a genocide of Ukrainians. 26 May, that day, there was a massive missile attack on Dnipro. Particularly, they hit a civilian hospital with people remaining inside. 
five people died, and 32 have been injured, including two children. On May 27th, two-time Grand Slam semifinalist Ukrainian tennis player Elina Svitalina won her first WTA title in nearly two years and first since becoming a mother by beating Anna Blinkova, Russian, 6-2-6-3, in the in final at the inter, 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 International de Strasbourg on Saturday. Svitalina and her husband, tennis play, player Jael Monfields, became parents in October. Svitalina returned to her to, to the tour in April. Once ranked as highest number three, Svitalina entered the tournament at number 408 and is the lowest ranked woman to win a tour title since 2009. On May 28th, in the night, Russia attacked Ukraine with 59 drones. Ukrainian air defense forces shot down 58 of them. It was the largest drone attack of the year. 40 drones were aimed at Kyiv, with drone debris killing one person, injuring several and damaging a few private households. On May 29th, Russians kept launching a high number of drones on Ukrainian territories. Ukrainian air defense forces destroyed 36 missiles, including 11 Iskander K-1s, out of 40 launched and 30 out of, six, uh, out of 38 Shahed drones over that night. A fragment of a Russian rocket almost hit a passenger minibus in Kyiv, which was captured on, a, on different cameras. Kyiv cit citizens still use the tube stations at the most reliable shelter. Videos and photos of people hiding in tubes were posted on the internet. On May 30, the Ukrainian Air Force said it shot down 29 out of 31 Iranian-made Shahed drones launched by Russia on Tuesday as explosions reverberated and sent residents running for cover. Buzzing drones could be heard flying over central Kyiv before dawn, followed by wall-shaking explosions from air defense systems that knocked the unmanned vehicles out of the sky. Uh, to briefly describe overall situation regarding the missiles and air defense of Ukraine, the Russian assault on Tuesday, May 30, 2023, was the 17th attack on Ukrainian capital in May alone. After Ukraine's forces shot down dozens of ballistic cruise missiles and drones over Kyiv in early hours of Sunday and into Monday. During May, Russia attacked not only at night hours but during the day too. There was a video posted from Kyiv where you can see children rushing to the shelter during the day in, scroll, in school uniform after the air siren goes on. According to data collected by Forbes Ukraine, from February to October 2022, Russia fired about 1,200 long-range missiles over Ukraine. According to Defense Minister Ukraine Alexei Reznikov and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, of them, Ukrainian air defense and aviation were able to shoot down 246 cruise missiles, which less than 30%. So between October, between February and October last year, Ukraine was able to shut down only 30%, approximately from 1,200 uh, long-range missiles sent by Russia over Ukrainian territory. But in the period from October 2022 to to now, 
the efficiency of Ukrainian air defense constantly increased and, and in the last two months was about 90%. Thanks to advanced Western air defense systems, Ukraine is now more protected. But it still doesn't stop Russia, as we see from the increasing number of Russian attacks this May. Let's move to the week in the history of Ukraine. On May 29, 1964, the largest botanical garden of the USSR was opened in Kyiv, the botanical garden of Mykola Hryshko. The garden covered 120 hectares and contained 13,000 types of trees, shrubs, flowers and other plants from all over the world. The Vedubichi Monastery and Trinity Monastery of St. Jonas are located on the grounds of the botanical gardens. The territory of the garden is divided into floristic complexes such as Ukrainian Carpathians, Plains of Ukraine, Crimea, Caucasus, Central Asia, Altai and Western Siberia, Far East. In every zone, plants typical for a particular region can be found. We kindly invite you to visit it if you have a chance or when the war is over. Now moving on to the word of the week. This week's word is orcs. It is a word used by Ukrainians to describe Russian soldiers. The word is familiar to J.R.R. Tolkien readers as the name given to the monstrous anthropoids in his epic novel The Lord of the Rings. In all Tolkien stories of the war in Middle-earth, orcs are violent, destructive and untrustworthy, wrecking wanton heaven wherever they go. It is not hard to see why the people of Ukraine use this name for the invaders of Ukrainian land. Interesting fact, in a new UA Animals social ad Sala Baker, the actor playing the role of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, addresses Ukrainians with words of support. The actor calls to support UA animals and save animals from war, and orcs of Middle-earth ask not to call Russians orcs, as the comparison with Russian offenders offends their people's dignity. We'll uh, play the, the part of this commercial just uh, in a moment. But while this commercial loading, it's funny, kind of, it's a funny, uh, funny moment that the orcs ask not to name Russians orcs because they are offended by being identified with Russians. Even orcs are offended. Yeah, so let's hear it. So that's it for today. In the next episode, we will cover the diversity of the Ukrainian army. We will talk about the 
the life of LGBTQ plus people, the treatment of women and adjustment made for vegetarians. Stay tuned. Thank you for being with us today. See you next week. Actually, hear you next week. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to heroes.